World's Finest Podcast, Episode 68. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you, sir? Doing quite well. Paid my car off, got a promotion, I'm doing just fucking fine right now. Yeah, I read about that at the forums, uh, full-time, I think I read, right? Yeah. Awesome. Finally. There. Have you actually started it yet, or is it like a little ways off? Like they it said starts, it's going to happen. It starts next week. Oh, Cause very Because cool. this week's schedule was already in effect, so it'll start oh. this Saturday. Excellent. Excellent. Is this going to affect our recording schedules, huh? huh? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm already uh, getting 37 hours a week anyway, so really oh. it's just a bump up of three hours. But okay, I guess. It just you. means I'll get more bonuses and or have opportunities for shit like that. So Yeah, that's that's awesome. Congrats on that. Yeah. Thank, thank you. What about you? Anything uh, new? No, nothing at all, ever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I don't even know why I ask. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Is there anything to report on? Um... In my personal life, in my job life, no, no, nothing at all. But there is a little bit of uh, WFP news that I want to let our listeners know. Uh, we now have a voicemail line on Earth2.net, the show. I just uh, announced over there that um, there was a new voicemail line for that podcast, but World's Finest Podcast has its own voicemail line. And the thing is, of course, you call up and, you know, we download the MP3s and we can play them on the air. But what this voicemail line also allows you to do is send us text messages. So if, uh, like, let's say you're on, I'm going to give the same spiel I gave on Earth 2 at the show, you know, like, let's say you're on the train or, you know, you're on the bus or something or you're walking to work or whatever, and you're listening to the show and you hear us say something and you want to comment, well, by the time you get to wherever you're going, you might forget to send that email. Well, now you can just pull out your phone and text your thoughts right then and there as you're listening to the show. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, to answer a question uh, someone sent me in regards to the Earth2.net voicemail line, no, we will not be answering the text while we're recording. So if you are sending, like, let's say, okay, this is episode 68. Let's say you're a little behind and you're listening to, like, episode, okay, well, they wouldn't know that the voicemail line exists if they were listening to episode 67. So, okay, so let's say we're recording episode 69 and you're a little behind and you're listening to episode 68 and you send a text, well, we're not going to interrupt what we're doing to answer that text on the air. But we may read some of these text messages on the air in the email section the next time we're recording. Okay, so get your pens out. This is the new voicemail line. 731-937-9370. 731-937-9370. If you want an easier way to remember that, it's 731 731- WFP, WFP, zero. So there you go. Start sending us voice messages. Start sending us text messages. And, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll read some of those on the air. We'll play some of those on the air. 
Speaking of such things, shall we get to emails? Yeah, we have a ton of emails to get through, so let's just do it. First one is from Brian, who writes, Just a few things I thought of when listening to 65-66 of WFP. First, it's been a while since I've seen the first few episodes, but didn't Hot Streak break out of a hospital when he first got his powers? Considering his hatred of hospitals, it kind of gives a new spin on the scene when rewatching, assuming I'm not remembering it incorrectly. Uh, yeah, he did, actually. He did, but it's not like he was in the hospital for some sort of... Um... It's not like he was in, like, uh, again, I've always assumed that maybe he had cancer in his youth or something, you know? It's not like he was in there and the bang baby gas came in and it transformed him and then he broke out. He was at the docks, got gassed, was taken to the hospital, woke up, flamed on, and then just burst out of the hospital. So it's not like the doctors were poking and poking and prodding him. So, yeah, he was in there, but I don't think that would account for his... Um, dislike for hospitals and doctors also the episode now you see him is it just me or didn't they do pretty much the same villain plot in time out of joint which one's time out of joint well that was clock king uh where he was going to kill the mayor with that bomb and which one was now you see him child molester invisible guy no 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 no. now you see him as uh uh the goofy facial expressions guy yeah um i guess that's kind of similar maybe what do you think Uh Yeah, a little bit, actually. Yeah. Uh, It it really is, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, okay. Anyway, keep up the great work, and I'm looking forward to Justice League. Oh, today, this one right here. Yay! (laughs) Next one's from Glade, who writes, Hi, Mike and James. To answer a quick question you had, James, Two-Face doesn't show his face either either one in Batman Arkham Asylum. And yes, I do know this. I actually have finished the game since the last time we recorded a WFP episode. So, yeah, I know pretty much anything that happens except for all the Riddler stuff. So, anyway, uh, however, at the end of the game, Two-Face is mentioned, just like one of the other listeners who, or many who haven't chimed in. I really don't care about the Teen Titans continuity issue. I've watched some of the series already, and I really can't wait to hear your thoughts. Oh, and Mike, buy Batman Arkham Asylum if you ever get uh, a PS3, because you can play as the Joker. Of course, it's only a challenge maps, but still. Thank you so, again so much for the podcasts. And one last question. Are you... Are you going to answer emails about Wonder Woman from the DC Universe animated original movie? I'm a huge Greek mythology buff, and I'd love to chime in with thoughts. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, James and I, before we started recording, we were trying to hammer out uh, a a day and a time when we would record that Wonder Woman episode. It looks like we're going to be recording it soon. Uh, We're not going to make any announcements yet, because, you know, things happen, and we don't want to tell you, hey, it's going to be this episode, and then have to change it, you know? Um, But yeah, if you want to write in ahead of time, Definitely do so, and uh, we'll read those on the air uh, as we're discussing that movie. Um, what was what were some of Glade's other questions in there? I can't remember. Oh, what he was. Stuff? Oh, <laughs> me getting the the yeah. You know what? If if <laughs> I can't afford a PS3 or an Xbox 360, and I certainly can't even afford the 60 or 65 or how more, however many dollars the game costs. So. If there's any, you know, well-to-do listeners out there, you know, you want to buy me stuff for all the hard work I do behind the scenes for World's Finest Podcast, it would really be appreciated if a listener bought me an Xbox 360. <laughs> Getting back into the emails here, the next one is from Jenny, who writes, Hello, Mike and James. First, I'd like to say thank you for responding to my first email, and hooray on starting Justice League. Why do I have the feeling that you guys are going to be gushing for the rest of the podcast's lifespan? <laughs> well, hmm, listen in a little bit to this episode. <laughs> I'm just going to tease that. That's all. Yep. 
Now, last episode you mentioned Arkham Asylum, which is amazing, and I definitely thank you. Uh, I think that you should check it out. I, I think Mike doesn't have it right. Well, yeah. <laughs> although I would like to give you a few warnings about the game. Uh, Poison Ivy's portrayal is very annoying to me, at least, and Bane's dialogue amounts to me break Batman rar. The main doctor in the game is voiced by she who shall not be named from a certain futuristic DCAU show, but she is removed fairly quickly, so don't let her scare you away. And I'd well, also keep like in mind, to... hang on, hang on, because this did come Go up ahead. at the forums. Do keep in mind, we have no problem with the voice actress. What's her name? It's Chris oh, Summers, right? Chris Summers. She's right. a great, great voice actress. We have absolutely no problem with her. It's just that one unnamed character that we had a problem with. Everything else she's done has been, as far as I can remember, just spot on. Oh, yeah. And her voice for the character wasn't bad. It was just the character sucked. It wasn't her fault. Yeah, she did exactly. what she could with it, you know. And I'd also like to pitch to you a line by Joker that never could have been said in the DCAU. Tell me, Bats, what are you really scared of? Failing to save the cesspool of a city? Not finding the commissioner in time? Me and a thong? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying in, the la- in our last episode. Jo- Joker's dialogue is just fantastic in that's there. awesome. I'm, I love Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Okay, breaking away from Arkham Asylum. Mike, thanks for indulging my question about the Bat villains. I completely understand about not knowing the characters too well out of DCAU. It's sort of the same for me. Anytime I hear the name of a Batman villain, their DCAU counterpart comes to mind because to me, that's how they should be portrayed, except for Killer Croc. And while I'm on that character, why is uh, why is he always put in Arkham? He's in he is in the DCAU. He is in the comics and the game too. He's a creep with a skin condition, not a lunatic, is he? Whatever. Well, he's you know he's a murderer. And, you know, a good defense attorney and the right psychiatrist could claim that his murderous, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, rampages come from, yes, tendencies, come from the way he looks. So it could stem back to some sort of mental disorder based on his outward condition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and you've played Arkham Asylum, Jenny, so you know uh, the way... Listen. You listen to those tapes that you pick up from recordings of psychiatrists with him. Yeah, he belongs in Arkham in that game. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah, I mean, like the Penguin. I don't get whenever they show him in Arkham. It's like he's yeah. just a thief, you know. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Croc. He's sure. a rack. He's a racketeer. Y- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thank you both for the recommendations and uh, for the heads up on the Crisis on Two Earths movie. I'll check those out as soon as I can. As for my taste in comics, I have no idea. I really only have started buying comics in October of this year and have started with Batman. But taking a look at my mountain of manga, which ranges from our own high school clothes club uh, to others like Berserk, and I'm pretty sure you might not know those series. I do. Um, thanks uh, to An Amazing Podcast, another fine yeah. Earth2.net podcast. I actually do know about, uh, it's pronounced Oran, is that out? Is that it? Oran. Yeah, Oran High School. Oran uh, High School Host Club, because uh, Kellen Scrivens, if I remember correctly, has raved about that series several times, hasn't he? He's a huge fan of that show. Yeah. Uh, And the book, I imagine. Um, I'd say I'm willing to try anything as long as it isn't a Superman comic. I don't hate Superman, but I have a strong dislike for the character, because every time I started talking about Batman as a kid, my dad would go, oh, yeah, did Batman ever fly around the world so fast he turned back to (laughs) (laughs) All right, well. I won't. I won't speak for many other Superman comics because I haven't read any myself. But if you if you can get past it, uh, your hatred of the character, just pick up Lex Luthor, Man of Steel. Yes, yes. Please do. It is an amazing comic or series arc. Uh, and Mike will vouch for me on this. Absolutely. In fact, I just picked it up off my shelf uh, yesterday. Um, well, again, 
yesterday. I uh, I thought I lost it. I had the trade paperback. I read it when it came out, and I, I didn't know where it went. And then I looked at my shelf the other day, and all of a sudden it was there again. I'm like, where did this thing come from? But, uh, yeah, great series. I would also recommend Superman Red Sun. It's yes. an out-of-continuity story. It's a what-if story. DC's version is called Elseworlds. And it's basically what if the rocket landed 12 hours earlier so it landed on a farm just outside of Moscow instead of landing in, you know, Kansas. Um, let's see. And I, I won't spoil the twist on that one because the twist at the end is awesome. So damn good. Um, but you, what I love about Red Sun is it's not like, oh, Superman's a commie, so he's a bad guy. He's still Superman. He's still the Superman we all know and love, where he's, you know, he he flies to the states to help people. Even though the states, you know, it's capitalism versus communism and all this and that. He's still a really good guy. Mark Miller, who wrote it, you know, he grew up in, in, in a socialist family. It's, I, I've read interviews with him. He got the idea from his father saying, how come there isn't a Superman-like character for socialists? And that sat in his brain for years until he wrote this story. So he didn't write Superman as a villain, but he wrote him as just a good guy. Still Superman, just a communist at heart. Um, I would also recommend uh, Superman Brainiac. The hardcover is already out. The trade paperback comes out in March of 2010, I believe. Uh, it's a four, maybe a five-issue storyline uh, written by Jeff Johns, drawn by Gary Frank. Um, really good really touching, heartbreaking story. Um, I won't say too much more about that. Um, I think last time I recommended these two. If I didn't, I apologize. But that would be All-Star Superman Volumes 1 and 2. Good, silver, agey fun, but told with modern storytelling techniques. Off the top of my head, that's all I can think of. Because uh, I, too, am not a huge Superman fan. But those are... Oh, get Action Comics 775. It came out in 2001. The best single-issue Superman story you will ever read. It reminds you why Superman is relevant in the here and now when there's hardcore heroes like the Punisher and the Authority and Wolverine that will go out there and kill. It reminds you why Superman stands above all of them and is truly the greatest hero of all time. Action Comics 775. You should be able to find that in back issue bins for, you know, maybe five bucks. I don't see it costing much more than that. I don't think that's ever been collected, so you're going to have to do back issue diving. All righty. Next one is from Corey, who writes, I'm not sure if this is true, but I heard that they couldn't use Two-Face, Rachel Ghoul, or Scarecrow on the Batman because of the Nolan movies, like how the 90s Spider-Man cartoon couldn't use Sandman because of a Spider-Man movie that was never made. Yes, looking forward to you guys starting Justice League. <laughs> you know what? There's a lot of confusion surrounding this, and I, I was looking this up recently. Okay, what happened was they created the so-called bad embargo to keep certain characters out of the DCAU so they could be used in the Nolan movies and the Batman. Now, you know, maybe when they were make, doing the Batman, out of respect for the Nolan films, they didn't use Rachel Ghoul and the Scarecrow. But my understanding is, is that they could have. Now, when it comes to Two-Face, you can't say, okay, you could say it, but it wouldn't make sense for there to be a bad embargo against Two-Face for the Batman for the Nolan films. Because the Batman ended in, like, early 2008, and The Dark Knight didn't come out until the middle 
of 2008. Do you know what I'm saying? There was never going to be an overlap there with that character. Next one is from Jesse, who writes, Hey, guys, I wanted to submit this question before the recap episode, but couldn't, so here it is. Why do you feel that in recent episodes, last 40 or so, your analysis of the episodes you're reviewing includes a full synopsis of the plot, while the first few episodes, a BTAS, uh, you would literally spend less than a minute on the overall plot. It's not a bad thing. We've all evolved with the show, and after more than two years listening, it's great that the show is moving towards the final chapters, as Justice League and Teen Titans. Huh. I blame James entirely for this, and I'm not even joking. It is my fault. It really is my fault. <laughs> yeah, because what happened was James, and I, you know, I'm not poking fun at, at all, so don't take it that way. You know, <laughs> but what, but what happened was, or what happened, I should say, was that James started telling these like longer and longer synopsis. And so I was still trying to keep to the shorter ones, but then mine started getting longer and longer too, just to keep up. <laughs> and that that's really how it evolved. I noticed it happening as we were doing it. And I was like, well, you know what? Every podcast should evolve. If your podcast, if you're on episode, like, let's say, I don't know, 50, or even 25 of your podcast, and it sounds the exact same as that first episode, even if it's a good show, that's not necessarily a good thing. Changes should happen naturally over time, and that's what's happened with our show, that, and that's just one of them. You know what would be a great evolution, Mike? Hmm. If, if you use the Justice League theme... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, the static just, there's just static on the line. I, I didn't oh, okay, right, of course. <laughs> Silly me. <laughs> As always, great job on the podcast. You keep me entertained at our research facility. <laughs> Nothing better than to go outside while waiting for the telescope to do its own thing and have WFP blasting at full volume and having no humans around for miles. I like to be able to listen to the show even if I'm 100 yards away from my computer as my iPod fails to work properly under extremely low uh, temperatures. Th that's what I love about our listenership. You know, and I, I'm sure, you know, our other podcasts on, on EarthStudent.net are the same way, but, you know, they, they don't write in necessarily tell us their professions. But we've had, what, uh, veterinarians write in. Uh, I, I want to say we've had doctors. Several uh, scientists, I Yeah. I, I, there, was there a lawyer once? There might have been a lawyer once. And, and we, you know, you know, we got people who are working at research facilities with these giant telescopes. I mean, and, you know, we've got, we've got, you know, we've got teenagers, young teenagers. We've got people who are older. You know, it's just wild to me how diverse our audience is. You know, it's 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 not all people our age that grew up with it. It's, you know, to, to go back to it, you know, young teenagers who are just discovering the backlog of the DCAU through Justice League and Teen Titans. <laughs> but then, you know, you also have the people who are older than us who... I think we have an email coming up, as a matter of fact, who are older and they're, they, you know, they sort of discovered it by taking their kids to movies and sitting down and watching it with them. So that's so cool to me. Uh, next one is a uh, follow up from Brian, uh, who writes, I'm a huge Flash fan, mainly due to the Justice League cartoon, but that has led me to picking up just about any Flash related comic I can find as well. So when it was mentioned in episode 67 about the Flash in the, in the episode Speed Demons possibly being Barry instead of Wally, I decided to do some checking and came up with a few arguments of it, it being Barry, as well as some of it being for Wally. As for Wally, while the Flash cart, uh, costume Flash, or the costume Flash wears in Speed Demons is different from the one he wears in Justice League, it is still closer to Wally's, cost, uh, Wally's costume than Barry's. Best way to tell is the lightning belt around his waist, quote-unquote. 
Barry is, is pretty much parallel to the ground while he's meets in a V-shape where the buckle would be. Number two in the Brave and the Bold, uh, during the Flash mind trip scene where we see Wally being struck by lightning in a lab, he is already an adult, and Barry, or anyone else for that matter, is nowhere to be seen. Granted, the whole scene was in Wally's head, so it could be just part of the hallucination and not a memory. But if it was a memory, it would indicate that he didn't start as Kid Flash and that there was not a previous red-suited Flash. And three, he had more of a Wally attitude than a Barry one. Granted, I've read more stuff with Wally than Barry, but it seems to me that Barry was more serious than the Flash in Speed Demons. But uh, on the side of Barry... Number one, different voice actor. Of course, we see many characters in the DCAU being voiced by different actors and yet be the same character, i.e. Penguin, Bane, Tim Drake, and Superman. But in this case, you could say it was another character as well. Two, he was late to the race, which I believe was a, forgive the pun, running gag with Barry. Three, in Flash and Substance in the Flash Museum, there is a Kid Flash costume on display indicating there was a previous Flash before Wally. Just thought I'd share my thoughts with you on the Speed Demons Flash debate. Looking forward to your reviews and thoughts on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Yeah, it really can go either way. And if memory serves, that's not the first time we've actually suggested it. I think when we listen or when we recorded that uh, Superman, the animated series episode, um, I think the idea was thrown out then that it uh, could have been Barry and not Wally. It's one of those things where never, you know, unless unless Deany or you know Deany or Tim say which one it is, I, I don't think we're ever going to find out which one it is. You know, I, I just go with Barry because of my belief that the Teen Titans are in continuity. You know, so it makes sense that a few years prior, it would be, um, you know, prior to the Justice League, I mean, it would be Barry, who is still the Flash. He retires because um, he doesn't die. And the reason we know he doesn't die, like he did in Crisis on Infinite Earths, is because in the one with the Flash Museum, the Justice League episode, uh, Wally mentions that his uncle is coming to town. He doesn't say Barry, but it's a clearly he's he's referencing Barry there. So you know you just sort of assume he retired. Uh, Wally stopped being Kid Flash. You know he had grown up, and at that point he became the Flash and joined the Justice League. Yeah, keep up the great work, Brian. P.S. Will there be a Wonder Woman a- asking Hera for strength? Count? <laughs> that okay. is awesome. <laughs> here's here's what we need. We need okay a great Hera or Hera give me strength count. We need. Hawk girls just grunting count. Oh no, we'd be counting for God knows how long. Because <laughs> I swear to God, she she grunts more than she speaks. Okay. <laughs> oh, and then we also need uh, a John Jones passes out count because he's always getting psychically attacked or just falling over and, and passing out. This guy. So those are the three counts off the top of my head. That we need. I don't think James and I are going to do that, but if there are any uh, listeners out there who want to do that, feel free to do it for us. <laughs> exactly. I do like that. Uh, Hera, give me strength count. Uh, That's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, next one is from Eric who writes, Long time, no email, guys. How you been? Great episode. I haven't been around for a while due to non-access of the podcast, but I'm glad... Or I'm back, and I'm glad you, as uh, I am as you guys are getting ready to begin your Justice League reviews. I was never a big fan of Static or the Zeta Project, but after watching a few episodes because of the crossovers, I planned to uh, begin watching them, uh, and then listening to the podcast episodes I missed and responding in future episodes. I've also been watching the Superman episode uh, podcast of Better in the Dark, the podcast you have on your forums. They did a great job at chronicling the Superman world. Yes, they did. I've watched all the DTV DC animated movies and was curious uh, as to what is your favorite one of them. Mine is a tie between New Frontier and Batman Gotham Knight. I've seen the rest except Wonder Woman, so I have no opinion on that. 
Wow, this is a tough one. I Really, as surprising as this might be for me to say, I think my favorite right now is the Wonder Woman one. Oh, wow. Cool. I, it's just it's just so much fun, you know? <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, I thought you'd seen it already. No, I'm not bad. yet. I've seen First Flight. I haven't seen Wonder Woman, though. Yeah, I, and I haven't seen that one, so. Yeah. Um, New Frontier, of course, speaks for itself. Was yeah. we, I mean, we, we had, we recorded that E2 episode on it, so it was, it was fantastic. You know, and I like Gotham Knight. It, I, I understand, I really do understand why people would think it's disappointing and, or lackluster, but I, I really like it. And you can't forget about Doomsday. <laughs> <sighs> no, I really can't, to tell yeah. you the truth, unfortunately. <laughs> um... Let's see. Um, I haven't seen the Doomsday one. I haven't seen Wonder Woman. Um, I guess I've seen all the others then. Uh, so yeah, First Flight, Public Enemies, um, uh, uh, New Frontier, and Gotham Knight. Out of those, oh, it's it's New Frontier, Heads and Shoulders. In fact, I just rewatched it the other day. You know, I had nothing else to do. I sat on the shelf. I threw it in. You know, it's it's got its problems. If we were to if we were to re-review it, I'd probably bring my score down a little. I don't remember what I gave it. I probably gave it a perfect score, uh, but I'd probably bring it down a little. I think we both did. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see some of the complaints that uh, I, I heard some other people um, levy against it. You know, having watched it another time now, but it's still an awesome, awesome movie. Um, and I'm not going to say too much about First Flight because I don't want to show my hand before we get there, hopefully in January. All right. Uh, I felt the Green Lantern First Flight movie was okay, but fell flat as the story in No Frontier explained the origin better. Public Enemies was good, but I read the comic series and felt they left too much out. Amen, brother. And Superman Doomsday is one of the worst comic book films ever made. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Take care, guys, and keep them coming. Next one is from Tony, who writes, Hi, guys. First of all, I wanted to say that it's great that you guys are finally discussing Justice League. It's about damn time. <laughs> You're noticing a theme in these emails, Mike? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, now that Marvel has essentially sold its soul to Disney, do you think uh, that we may see, uh, see the emergence of a new string of Marvel-based cartoon shows tied together in a singular continuity uh, like we did with the DCAU? I ask because the Marvel cartoons I grew up with in the 90s never seemed that directly connected to each other. And the Marvel shows airing nowadays, like Spectacular Spider-Man, Wolverine and the X-Men, Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes, and Iron Man Armored Adventures, appear to have no direct con uh, connection to each other whatsoever. You know, I think if the Marvel movie continuity works out, then within a few years, because obviously it takes a while to get a TV show off the ground and then get it animated and all this and that, then in a few years we might stress might see some sort of animated DCAU-like continuity um, cartoons. But you can't really force something like that. The DCAU, they didn't have it planned. I mean, it started with Batman, and then they did Superman, and they tied it back. You know, and then they kept it rolling, and then, you know, eventually leads to this Justice League thing. And, you know, it, it the fact that it worked out really... It might be like a one-in-a-million thing that, 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 that it all came together like that. So we'll see if it happens with Marvel, but I don't want them to force it at the same time. I want it to happen 
just as naturally as the DCAU, DCAU did, starting with maybe one or two shows and slowly growing from there. Also, this may be a bit random, but if you guys grew up in the 80s like I did, then hopefully you all are both Transformers fans. Nope. Since we, since we all know it's going to happen, what would you like to see in Transformers 3 other than the brutal on-screen slaughter of Skids, Mudflap, and Michael Bay himself? <laughs> I'm personally looking forward to seeing the Bay version of Unicron, if for no other reason than he would be the ultimate way to send out the Transformers trilogy. And since the Fallen's comic book counterpart was originally created by Simon Furman to be Unicron's first herald anyway... Uh, so using Unicron in the third, third film seems appropriate. I haven't seen the second one. I didn't really want to. I can't stand Michael Bay movies, so. Uh, saw the first one. Wasn't crazy about it. Didn't like it, as a matter of fact. Uh, didn't see the second one. You know, and it really boils down to the fact that I, I, I didn't grow up as a Transformers fan. I, I grew up as a G.I. Joe fan. I was a Ninja Turtle fan, so, yeah, I wasn't really into Transformers either. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of liked the GoBots better. We just lost half our listeners. Sorry, James. Um, I don't know. There's just something about the GoBots that were, I don't know, a little cooler to me. That, that's not to say I, I hated the Transformers. I love Starscream. Absolutely love Starscream. He's such a douchebag. Who doesn't like Starscream? Yeah. You, yeah. you got to be enthralled by the guy. Yeah. I used to got guy loosely there. Yeah. You know, and I remember seeing the Transformers movie, the animated movie in the theater. You know, so I, I liked it to a certain extent, but it really wasn't like, oh my God, I have to watch it like it was with G.I. Joe or He-Man or even Voltron. You know, if we want to talk about robot shows, I, I'd put Voltron above Transformers and GoBots any day of the week. I'll throw the original Power Ranger series too. It was horrible acting. It was cheesy uh, cardboard city but God damn it, I loved it. When I would come home from school, I was in high school at this point. I think I was a freshman. When did that come on the air? Like 92, right? Oh, that was 91. 91. Okay, so that was eighth eighth grade, and then as it continued on into 92, I was in high school. You know, I'd come home after school, and I, I'd veg out on the couch and watch it, you know? I thought it was utterly stupid, but it was people just doing karate and kicking the shit out of stuff and there were giant robots so it it, yeah. it scratched some itch that i had you know <laughs> that, that's couldn't put it any better myself <laughs> lastly i'm also a diehard dragon ball fan after the abominable experience that was fox films dragon ball evolution i was wondering if you guys think there is any way to make a good live action dragon ball film if it is completely impossible then what anime do you feel would work as a live action movie yeah. I got um, James. My my anime knowledge is so limited. I have to throw this to you. Yeah, there really isn't a way. You cannot make a Dragon Ball live action movie. It's it's just impossible. First off, first off, there's just too many characters. There are too damn many characters in the Dragon Ball uh, anime to translate to uh, screen and get them proper screen time. And and it's not like you know you can leave a bunch of them out because everybody ties into everybody else. And then you've got all the futuristic shit coming in when Trunks gets involved, and it's just it would it would be a humongous clusterfuck. You just you can't do it. It's it's impossible. Um, now, as for anime that would work as a live action movie, uh, now um, I made this one of my little cliches in my latest update on my anime cliches thing. Ninety percent of live action anime, frankly, sucks. <laughs> uh, it's it's very, 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 very hard to translate anime to live action. It's just a fact of life. See, I, I almost chalk that up to, you know, Hollywood, America, not knowing how to adapt anime. 
You know, they, well, they don't. I'm, I, I'm I, talking I, about I, Japanese ones too. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize you were throwing those in there as well. Okay. No, I mean, just take it as a whole. We can count Hollywood and Japan in this. It's okay. just I, I have seen. I don't know if I've ever seen a live-action anime adaptation that I really liked. Okay. I think the Death Note movie live-action movies are terrible, um, and there's been I don't know eight thousand Sailor Moon live-action uh, movies. They are adaptations. They all suck. I, I'd love to see if they could try and do like Helsing live-action. You know, because I, I, I was going to throw that out there. Yeah. I think that could possibly work because. You know, it's not a humongously long storyline. Um, I think they could make it a two to two and a half hour movie, and it would work. The the, the only problem is I I see is the special effects. Would they would they look okay? Because there's so much shit that Alucard can do that yeah. it's like I just don't see it being believable on in special effects on live action. Well, here let me let me say this. We've got a vampire craze going on right now, but it's a vampire craze geared towards women. Obviously, I'm talking about Twilight, okay? This is causing a lot of male vampire fans to want their own vampire franchise to latch on to, to say, see, this is what vampires are supposed to be about. So if you can get a Hollywood studio to pick up Helsing and throw a ton of money at it to put towards those special effects that you're speaking of and you market it as like the next blade because those blade movies did awesome. They did so good. They generated a TV show. Granted the TV show only lasted one season, but still three movies and a TV show. That's that, that speaks volumes about that franchise that people want an action, like, you know, seriously like gun toting action oriented vampire movie. And that's Helsing. Market it like Blade, but put in those like crazy over-the-top special effects that Helsing's, Helsing needs. And I think you'll see a ton of people flock towards it, especially these guys who want to take their vampires back. Yeah, and getting away from you know even just action anime, I think that a TV show that could really do well is Azamanga Daio. Okay. Um, I really think that could, uh, could translate into a, 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 a funny weekly TV show. Granted, they would have to get actors, or actor, I should say actresses, because it's like 99% female. But I think it could work if they actually uh, you know, understand all the character neuroses of each character. Each, each character has their own little character flaws, and it's really, it's really cool and funny. So if, if they actually put some conceivable effort into it, that could work as a TV show. What about uh, as a movie or a live-action TV show, Read or Die? Oh, my God. Um because I think Read or Die is an awesome concept. Oh, absolutely. With paper masters and shit or whatever they're called. That's so cool. Paper is a power? Wow. But again, special effects. Oof. Well, no, see, that I think could work a little better than the, the a la carte thing. But um, now I think if they took the the OVA, the mm-hmm. original Read or Die, and you know the 90-minute the movie and put yeah. that into live action, I think that could work very easily because you don't have to introduce – the paper sisters right. from the, the TV series, um, you know, and you don't have to get all these tons of extra characters. So I think if they translated just the movie, it could work very, very well, very easily. I didn't think about that. That's a great idea. Yeah. Well, I, I like read or die. You know, oh, it's been a while since I've seen either the, the, the OVA or the TV show, but I remember really digging it. Uh, the last one I'm going to throw out there, no need for special effects. I think it could be a great young character drama. Um, you know, you could get in the teenage crowd and 
you know, I think you could get in a younger crowd too. Case closed. You know, I mean, think about it, you know, because you've got, you've got this teenage love story, you know, this, this guy who gets turned back into a kid. So if you don't make it too cheesy, you could also get like a, a younger audience mixed in with the teen audience. You know, I, I, th I think it could be kind of cool and, you know, but it's Sherlock Holmesian, so it's smart. Case Closed could work. Oh, yes. Case Closed is one of the most intelligent animes ever written. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as a as a weekly show, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, throw that, throw something like that on, like, the CW or something, and that could yeah. definitely work as a weekly series, or even just one or two movies it could, it could, it could work as. All right. Oh, oh, wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hmm? Live-action anime, Elephant in the Room... Akira. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on. <laughs> please, please don't mention that again. <laughs> oh, well, it's going to happen eventually. You know it's going to happen. And it will suck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have you ever read the uh, the manga? Actually, no, I haven't read the manga before. Okay, yeah. I, I've seen, I, obviously, I've seen the movie a right. hundred thousand times. Yeah, I mean, because that manga is just massive. It's just a six phone book size volume. Six? I think it's six, yeah. And uh, I remember reading it after I saw the movie, and I was pretty much just as confused. <laughs> still thoroughly entertained, just as I was with the movie. But yeah, I'm still confused. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what it does. <laughs> Another anime cliche there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next next email is from, and I I apologize if I mispronounce your name, Nerty. Uh, I'm sorry if that, if I mispronounced that. But, uh, hello, guys. Just a quick warning. I just finished writing this email and went on and on, so sorry for that. I discovered your podcast ages ago, but since I never saw BTAS or STAS completely, I skipped those shows and began listening from Batman Beyond. And finally, I've been able to see Superman, and I listened to those shows as I was watching the DVDs. And I guess you could say I left the best for last since I only finished watching uh, BTAS and the podcast watching those shows according to what you guys were reviewing. In the episode review, uh, review Mask of the Phantasm, you ask if any parents took their kids to see that movie. Oh, here was the email I was talking about. I knew we had something like this. And what their reaction upon seeing it and discovering it wasn't a kid's movie. I was 28 at the time the movie came out with a 10-year-old son. I remember taking him without knowing that BTS existed. He knew, of course. All I knew is that it was a Batman cartoon movie. I can honestly say that I enjoyed the movie much more than he did. He was 10 at the time, so a lot of things went over his head because he knew Batman from the movie and the show, and that it, and that was it. And maybe the 60s show, too, but that's it. I knew Batman from comic books and the movie, not from the animated series. The whole thing seemed to me like the Batman movie that should have been made all along. It has everything. It had the conflict of Bruce Wayne not knowing whether to allow himself to be happy or keep a, pro a promise he made to his parents, a promise that the parents have no idea of. Uh, the conflict is all in Bruce's head, which only makes him that much more interesting. The conflict alone is worth the movie price. The idea of a man making a promise to his parents that, in all honesty, he knows his parents would never want that life for him. If Bruce's parents were able to speak to him from the great beyond, they would tell him, stop what you're doing, go live your life, be happy. Bruce knows this. He knows his parents would want him to choose love over anything else, but this idea he has of what he has to do is too powerful for him. He's not asking his parents to allow him to give up the idea of Batman. He's asking himself. He's just doing it in front of their graves. Besides the emotional conflict, the action was fast-paced, and it gave us a quote-unquote, green Batman at first. The action sequences were very good. The scene where Batman is being chased by the GCPD had me at the edge of my seat. This is a very vulnerable Batman. He's not all-powerful as we're used to by now. He makes mistakes, He, and he also makes great progress at the beginning, and it makes you realize that he also has an innate talent for this. So, sure, he has the training both mentally and physically, but he also has that instinct inside him that allows him to be the best ever. At the end, he is the Batman we all think about. He's just beyond anybody. Nothing is too much for him. Nothing scared him. 
uh, not really him. Uh, he might be scared for other people, but never for himself. From the point the movie ends on, we know he'll never stop. He'll never back down. He will die in battle. That's completely different to how he started the movie. You compare that Batman to the one at the end, and you realize that Batman is a completely different beast at the end. He's just as emotionally scarred as he is physically. He has no other way to go but to keep up with Batman, which at this point is the main persona, with Bruce being the true mask. The fact that any portrayal of Batman could actually show us the moment he becomes Batman is mind-blowing. This, to me, is the best thing ever in any Batman movie, comic book, graphic novel, animated show, etc. Nolan did an amazing job with the first movie since the reboot. uh, Begins is truly the beginning of Batman, but he doesn't show, and neither was his intention, the moment when Bruce Wayne ceases to exist and Batman takes over. This animated movie does it perfectly. There is no doubt this happens, and when it does... The moment he decided to choose love above anything else and and that love turned him down, that's when he became Batman. From that moment on, for the rest of his life, he is Batman. Bruce is just the mask. I remember being in that movie theater at the end and telling my son that this was the best Batman movie ever. He thought so, too, although his reasons were probably not the same as mine. He was very young at the time and uh, to really comprehend everything that took place. Some parents were happy with the movie. Some were neither here nor there. A few like me were really excited about what we had just witnessed and that no one at the time... Uh, and no one that time I saw the movie uh, said ba- anything bad about it. Now, although I'm sure a few complained about the violence and adult themes. I guess I could go on and on forever, and I'd still never do this movie justice. Have fun, you guys, and sorry for the long rant. I would actually say that Batman Begins does show the moment that he stops being Bruce Wayne and truly becomes Batman. But unfortunately, it doesn't resonate as well as it does in um, in, in the animated movie there. And and Batman Begins, it's it's at the end when, um, sorry, the poorly cast Katie Holmes uh, basically tells Bruce, look, you know, I, I want to be there for you, and, you know, I will, but, you know, I, I fear you're too... Doesn't she say something like, I fear you're too far gone, you're never going to be able to give up being Batman, and she leaves him. That, that That's the moment. It's just not done as well. Next one is from Patrick, who writes, Dear WFP crew, thanks for reading my letter in the past few podcasts ago. I would like to give you good, uh, wish you good luck on your reviews of Justice League. I did like the Batman and Robin review. Okay, you know what? Hang on, hang on, hang on. We better have all these I wish you this and I wish you that and I can't wait for it. When we get to Teen Titans, people, we better. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, yes. in truth, we're going to get the fuck you guys. I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, they'll still listen. They're just going to be like, not in continuity. Not in continuity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're still going to listen, by golly. Or we'll come to each one of your houses and make you listen. <laughs> yes, just like in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> uh, I did like the Batman and Robin review from Earth2.net, the show, and uh, the baby doll in, in the Arkham scene could be the dolls Joker used at Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns to kill some Boy Scouts, or it could be a refer- reference to baby doll from Batman the Animated Series. Who knows? Have any of you read... Um, Michael Ursland Archie story where he marries uh, Veronica and Betty. I've kind of enjoyed it so far. I don't think I've ever read an Archie comic in my life. Yeah, I, I didn't grow up reading Archie. I went straight to uh, G.I. Joe through that. I got into Superman and Batman and the Marvel heroes. Um, I know that's a storyline they're currently running in the Archie comics. I think it started with issue 600 a couple of months ago. But no, no, I, I just don't read Archie. Did you uh, see the TMNT movie Turtles Forever? I like to see. Uh, I would like to see Earth Two Dunn at the show do a <laughs> retrospective on all four of the Turtle movies and the history of TMNT. Mike, take it away. 
Okay, what you're going to want to do is go to the Earth2.net, the show archives. Scroll down to episode 100, produced in June of 2007, I believe, and you will find <laughs> a 7-hour and 15-minute look at all four of the then-released Turtle movies, that being the three live-action movies and then the animated TMNT. Myself and Jenny, my ex-girlfriend, uh, we covered the movies. I think we briefly spoke about the cartoons. Um, we also had help from... James, you helped out on that one, didn't you? Actually, I don't think I did. Did you I not? Did, okay. I, I, was on the, I was on the vampire one. That's, that's okay. I remember you were there. Uh, but um, I, I think DW spoke about some of the video games. I think Kellen colored some of the cartoons. Des and Ian, I think, even chimed in. Um, I, yeah, I think Ian did, because I think I remember him referencing that the cartoon was Hero Turtles and not Ninja Turtles um, over, you know, in, in, in Ian land. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if you want to hear... Earth2.net's look at the Turtles, episode 100 of Earth2.net, the show. Seven hours, 15 minutes. No, we did not do it in one sitting. We did it in three or four. I think we did two of the movies in one sitting, so that's why it might be three. What are your thoughts on Nickelodeon getting the Ninja Turtles? I never liked the crossover with the Power Rangers, but it was never a crossover to begin with, just a cross-promotion for the horrid live-action Fox Kids series. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I know it sucked, but I like the Power Rangers, damn it. The original series, anyway. I don't know what, about all this garbage since then. But. Nickelodeon getting the Turtles. You know what? I haven't really concerned myself with anything Turtle-related since TMNT. I thought that was a great movie. I really loved it. Um, and if they were to do another movie like that, in that style, and release it in the theaters, I would pay to go see it. But, you know, I, I wish Nickelodeon luck with the franchise. I do, but... You know, I, I don't have cable, and it would be wrong of me to download it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just not paying attention to it. But, uh, you know, I, I hope it does well, and I hope I hope it's enjoyable for the fans, too. But, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen this Turtles Forever movie either. So, James, do you know much about it? Is it done in the TMNT style? Is it a more animated style? You know, more cartoon animated style, I mean? I have no clue, dude. I have I know so little about the turtles anymore. It's sad. I mean, just yesterday I was in Best Buy with my friend and we were looking through the TV series section and I saw that there was like season eight of the turtles on DVD and it was like only eight episodes. I was like, that show went eight seasons. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I I had no clue and I was a huge fan of the show back yeah. then. Yeah. Speaking of podcasts, I plan on doing a real Ghostbusters podcast awesome. called Ecto. With the first episode being... Oh, say the name the again, because I was speaking over you, and I don't want it to get drowned out. ...called Ectocast. Uh, the first episode would be a review of the Christmas episode. Uh, right? I wish you luck in 2010. Thank you, Patrick. You know, email us again when uh, you get that show up and running, because I used to love the real Ghostbusters. Love that cartoon so much. So, yes, I definitely want to tune into that. All right, next one is from Joseph, who writes, Hey, guys, thanks for the reviews of Static Shock, and I cannot wait for Justice League episodes. I also cannot wait for the review of the episode called Legends, because in the commentary, Bruce Tim mentioned that the boy mascot of the Justice Guild is the combination of Roy Thomas and Ray Bradbury. I do not know uh, that Roy Thomas uh, did some comics for DC, uh, for DC, and I cannot wait for the episode Only a Dream, seeing Dr. Destiny reminds me of some cartoon character I used to see as a uh, kid back in the 80s with the skull face and the purple hood. Hmm, gee, Mike, I wonder whom that might be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Thanks and happy holidays. P.S. Sorry to bring up the movie Jonah Hex. I heard that the metal band called Mastodon is doing the music score for the movie. What do you guys think of Mastodon doing the score for Jonah Hex? I, I heard they were doing it, but I don't have a fucking clue who they are. I've heard so little of them, but I what I have heard of them has been on the video game rock band, so oh, there you go. Oh, 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 do they have any songs in, uh, in Guitar Hero 3? Or am I thinking of a different... Uh, yes, I think there is a Mastodon song in Guitar Hero 3, if I'm do not mistaken. They, I'm going to look this up. Do they do like one of those like insanely long, like your fingers start bleeding songs? I don't know about that, but they are definitely a metal band. It says that they had a downloadable song for Guitar Hero 3, Legends of Rock. So no, I'm, I, I, I am not familiar with them then, because I haven't downloaded any songs for that game. So... Yeah, I mean, hey, you know what? If they can do sort of like, you know, like a Western-type vibe, then sure, bring them in. But because I don't know their style and their sound, I can't say much more than that. Sorry. Next email is from our dear, dear friend Ian Wilson. (laughs) Who writes, top of the morning to you, Mick and Jimmy. (laughs) My question for you is pretty much what do you think of the controversy of the time that Jon Stewart and Shire Hall were chosen as part of the original seven when Jon wasn't the Green Lantern of choice and Shire wasn't Aquaman? And is it not a tad ironic that they hooked up given that they were uh, the more contentious members of the group before fans actually watched the damn show and realized how awesome it was? (laughs) Enjoying my clip monkey hibernation, Ian. Before Ian sent this email, I was actually thinking about this same thing earlier today because um, I used to have a blog ages and ages ago on a website that I, I've, I've long taken down. And I wrote a tirade on there that I was upset that they were using Jon Stewart. Um, not because I disliked the character, but because I don't remember the exact blog I wrote, but at the time I probably wished it was Kyle. Or guy. Oh, guy. (laughs) So, Jean Jones, you came from Mars to warn us? This is just too weird. I've seen stranger things. We first encountered them a thousand of your Earth years ago. It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. And then they arrived. Where they came from, no one knew, but they were determined to make our planet their own. We Martians were peaceful people, and the taking of any life was abhorrent to us. quickly learned the ways of war. For centuries, the battles raged on. Every trace of our once great civilization was obliterated. We fought valiantly, but the invaders were parasites who fed on our psychic energy. As we grew weaker, they grew stronger. They even absorbed our shape-changing abilities. Finally, a small group of Martian survivors planned one final, desperate attack. Ah! 
Inside their underground stronghold, we unleashed a powerful nerve gas which paralyzed them. successful, but the cost was dear. I was the only survivor, the last of my kind. I sealed up their citadel to keep them in a constant state of suspended animation. For over 500 years, I stood guard over them. But then, while I was in a hibernation cycle, astronauts from Earth unsealed the stronghold and accidentally revived the invaders. Wait. Those astronauts never said anything about finding life on Mars. Hmm. Some pencil pusher in Washington probably decided it should be classified information. With all the Martians gone, the invaders had nothing left to feed upon, so they turned their sights to Earth. I narrowly escaped and came here to warn of the coming danger. While I was being held against my will, the invaders sent advanced agents to disable Earth's defenses. That's why they sabotaged the Deep Space Monitoring Network so we couldn't detect their activities. We've got to stop them before it's too late. It may already be too late. All right, as always, when we do these, uh, you know, three-parters and movie-style reviews, uh, I'll be handling the beat-by-beat -beat synopsis, and we'll just kind of interrupt here and there with thoughts and whatnot. So I guess we'll just go ahead and get this started yep. with Secret Origins, the first Justice League story. Woo! Yay! Ah, uh, so glad we're into Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this starts off on Mars. Uh, we see a couple of astronauts. Uh, they're doing some digging around looking for uh, signs of water. Um, and when one of them, uh, named Carter, discovers a strange rock sticking out of the ground that looks very different among all the others laying around, and he uh, starts to dig it up. But when he does, this causes a massive uh, cave-in and he ends up falling into this very deep cavern. He loses radio contact with his uh, fellow astronaut. And when he gets down there, he starts searching around. And he finds this massive wall with a bunch of strange symbols on it. And uh, he takes his pickaxe and uh, takes a chunk out of the wall with, with the, uh, the pickaxe. And when this happens, this door opens and there's this intensely bright light that shines. And he... It, it leads in, the camera like pans straight into his face like he's about to be attacked. And then the Justice League theme song <laughs> plays for the first time. I got to tell you, I, I feel it's my duty to inform you that this this was the first I've watched of a Justice League episode since we started recording WFP. Oh, it's really? Been that, it has been that long since I've watched Justice League. Wow. And I, it, I, can't, I couldn't believe it myself, but I was like, you know what? That's true because I remember, I remember the last time I was watching... Uh, just and I'm, I'm, I don't mean I, I exclude Justice League Unlimited. I've seen some Justice League Unlimited episodes mm. since then, but not the original Justice League cartoon. And just hearing that theme song again kind of sent chills down my spine. <laughs> it's just so awesome. It is such an epic theme. Um, it's been a long journey, people, but we have arrived. It is <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, I, I just I love this theme. It is one of my favorite TV theme songs ever. Um, so, anyway, after yeah, it's, well, hang on. I mean, you, you had your say about the theme. Jesus, let me say something, man. You know, <laughs> okay then. But uh, no, I mean that theme. It's very powerful. It's very epic. You know, it sets up just the scope of this show. And I don't necessarily mean of this episode, the secret origins, but I mean of all of Justice League. Because um, this is, you know, the DCAU just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, we got the Static Shack. It's shrunk a little because they were trying to ground it more. Mm-hmm. But it was still growing. It was still expanding. And now we're in Justice League and, you know, we're thinking, it just can't get any bigger than this. Little did we know Justice League Unlimited was just a, shoe, uh, a, sh- a short few years away. <laughs> yeah, at the time, this was just so fresh, so different, so amazing. And, yeah, that, that theme just hammers that point home. Now, there's something I want to say, though, about these opening credits. Mm-hmm. I hate them because I do not like the... The, the those those CG models they're using, and especially the Batman one. He's so bulky. Look at him. Now at the end when everybody's all lined up, then I like the streamlined Batman. But Batman's got these like huge like shoulder pad. Like he looks like a football player or something. I hate that model. I hate all the models in in the opening credits here. And I don't like how slow everybody seems to be moving. Especially Superman when he breaks through the wall and he just sort of like floats away. He doesn't fly away. He's just like, a, a slight breeze has caught him, and he's a balloon, and he's just kind of go about his merry way. I don't like it. I really don't. I disagree. I kind I really like them, but hey, to each his own, <laughs> to each his own on that one. So Now, uh, what about the opening sequence? I mean, we, we you, you, you synopsized it, but then we went straight to the credits in the song. So what do you think about this opening sequence here? With Carter oh. and, I think his partner's name is Edward or Ed or something like I, that. I, I, I actually missed the, his his uh, fellow astronaut's name. So. It's only said when he falls into the chasm, and he says it real That's quick. Right. That's right. Um, well, I mean, it's not overly deep or anything, so it, it was, what, like two and a half minutes long or so? Something uh, like that, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's there's not really much to say about it now. But, I mean, it's it they'll bring it up later, like in part three. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens? What actually happens to Carter? But uh, so I mean, right now I don't think there's much to say about it. What about you? Well, I think it's. I understand why they did that, um, but I think it's a bit daring to do it all the same to not start. Okay, because you know, in a little bit here, we're going to see Batman in that facility, right? You know, so it's a little daring to start <laughs> with with characters that aren't any of the superheroes. We're starting on a whole other planet. You don't even know how it's all going to tie back in. And then we get the credits. You know, that might turn away some of the younger audience members who want to see Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and Green Lantern right away. I don't begrudge them for the way they started it. I'm just saying it was a, it was risky. You know, but had they started it with, you know, what we're about to get with at least Batman looming in the shadows, you know, anybody they potentially lost, they probably would have kept if they started that way, but I don't know if they lost anybody. I'm just saying again, potentially. So uh, when the credits end, we, we we jump two years into the future, uh, and we see uh, Wayne Aerospace Building, where these three workers are starting to fool around with some of this equipment there. And who should we see but Batman hiding in the rafters? Um, he he jumps down and confronts them because I I can't remember what exactly they're doing, but it's obvious that they're 
not doing something very, uh, very good. Oh, one of them lifts up like one of those big like computer consoles and pulls out that thing from the wall that they end up throwing into the satellite. And at this point, they're speaking their alien gibberish. Uh, so Batman ends up confronting them on top of the building near the satellite dish, and but it's it, it quickly it, they turn out to be a lot more than what they seem. Uh, there, this, there's a fight that ensues, and Batman's having to fight these things disguised as scientists who are super strong and can shape shift. Uh, the batarangs are bouncing right off their heads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that Bat- sequence with the batarang hitting that woman in the head and just goes ding, and she just like keeps going. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And it's and Batman is apparently no match for whatever these things are, and who should fly out of the sky but Superman? Uh, and he is about to lend a hand with this. Uh, he even kind of takes a little jab at Bruce, but when he starts to fly in to help, uh, he has some kind of psychic a, a headache or attack that just knocks him out. Psychic vibrations, Alfred. Alfred, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Um, so now Batman has to get himself and Supes out of there, uh, instead of stopping these three from destroying this outer space monitoring equipment on top of the aerospace building. Um, so, because these three creatures, whatever they are, uh, have now destroyed the entire building as Batman kind of narrowly gets out of there with Superman in tow. And, uh, after it's all over, Batman sees these three, you know, quote-unquote scientists on the ground just mutilated beyond all reason, yeah. but they kind of, they just simply remold themselves, get themselves out of one another, and uh, walk, just walk into the forest. Yeah. Just normal walk in the park there. Yeah, that is nasty. I mean, that one dude's arm is through the other guy's chest. Yeah. <laughs> and he just pulls it out, and then they all fix themselves up. And I love, I love the fat guy when he walks into the woods, how he mimics the human scientist from earlier doing the... And doing the gun thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, it was great. It really was. Uh, yeah. it, 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 right, right away, they're getting away with stuff they probably never could have gotten away with in BTAS or, or Superman the Animated Series. Oh, no. I mean, even though these things are aliens, at this point, they're still disguised as human beings. We don't know yep. what they are. We know they're different. We, we can assume they're aliens, but they're still looking like humans. And to see them all disjointed and their bones all bent and through each other's bodies, yeah, Ooh, they're, they're, they're really pushing the envelope right here. Well, yeah, what I was going to say here is, okay, in my notes, and I know this is answered later, but in my notes, I go, why did they blow up the satellite? Okay, we find out why they blew up the satellite, and that's because it was to stop you know, these these deep space, uh, well, satellites, from detecting the oncoming alien ships. But why did they blow them up six months ahead of time? Because after this, we jump six months into the future again. Why were they doing this six months early? Well, well, they do explain later on that they've been, you know, slowly sabotaging Earth's defenses for the better part of two years. Right, right, right. I, I know, because, you know, it starts out, we jump ahead two years, and then we get the thing with Superman and th- that you're about to get to, and then they say it's been six months since Superman started doing that thing. So we know six months have passed between the satellite thing and when the invasion actually starts. So did they need to start doing this six months ahead of time? And would it really have taken Wayne Tech six months to get that satellite back up and running? Because we see them putting it back together later on. Yeah, and the beginning of part three. Yeah. You know, at, at times during this, and, and I'm going to bring it up in a few minutes, at times during this, I think they forget that there's a six-month jump 
between the satellite blowing up and the tripods landing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I just wanted to throw that out there. Like, really, you're going to do it that far ahead of time? Because, like I said, they're going <laughs> to technically. I think in the real world, they would have rebuilt that pretty quickly, especially with you know Wayne's pockets. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyways, continue, please. Okay, so Superman and Batman are on the ground. Superman wakes up from his little mini coma there, and uh, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, what happened? And Batman says, you tell me, because he's, he's super pissed off right now. Yeah. Uh, and Superman says, I, I, there's these intense images in my head, and I just blacked out. So, uh, and he asks, he asks Batman, well, what's what's this all about? So Batman explains that there have been a lot of uh, anomalies being caught on the Wayne aerospace grid uh, throughout outer space. And uh, so Superman's, you know, uh, like, well, I got to go back to Metropolis now. So here's a signal watch to call <laughs> if you need any, any more help. I love the line, any more help. Yeah. Like, what, what, did, what exactly did you do here? Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> Batman might have stopped them if you didn't show up. <laughs> yeah. And, and Batman's, I love his reaction. He's like, right. Yeah. And it, it's just like, whatever. Yeah. But then he turns around and looks at the rubble of his building. And he's like, well, okay, yeah. I'll keep this. I'll put it in the utility belt. Is this where we jump ahead six months nope, or is no, that after? after this, this is, is like after the, the same night. Okay. Because Superman says, uh-huh. I have to go to Metropolis. Batman says, another key to the city. And Superman's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, whatever. Here's the signal watch. Okay. Yeah, so, because we next see some protesters outside the United Nations yelling about nuclear armaments, and uh, we go inside the UN where a a general, what was his name, General Wells? Wells, I think, yeah. Yeah, okay, Uh, is yelling that uh, the the nuclear arms are the only defense against nations who would threaten America, yada, 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 Uh, to which the astronaut from the opening scene who fell into the cave appears at the podium uh, is J. Allen Carter, who is now a respected U.S. senator. And he proposes that Superman can defend us just fine without needing nuclear weapons. Superman uh, 4 much? <laughs> this whole plot point is Superman 4. Yeah. Well, despite the, pro- the protests from a lot of people in the assembly, Superman uh, agrees to help disarm the weapons. Um, and I think – I like his speech here because I'd like to think it calls back to Legacy where he's talking about having to earn trust. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to think that's what it's doing. So, mm. um, in the yeah, because they never really wrapped that up. No, they didn't. So yeah, you have to kind of assume he's been doing that in the meantime. So yeah, good good point there. In the meantime, Batman is continuing his investigation, um, and he traces the same three fake. Well, scientists. wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. At, at this point, they do actually say they jump ahead six months. They show Superman disarming the rockets. We meet the Flash. He even says, "Hey." You know, I'm the fastest man alive, and I can't be in five places at once. And then we get to Superman, at, or excuse me, Batman, at the closed-down Star Labs is where it is. Uh, right. And he sees the uh, the woman and the heavy guy coming into the lab. And this was my point from earlier where I think they forgot that they jumped ahead six months. Because why is Batman still tracking these two people six months later? How did he not catch up with them? And why are they still in the same fucking disguises? Why is he still in Metropolis? Because I, that that satellite facility was in Metropolis, and he's come back to Metropolis where Star Labs is. This is a total flub, I think. That's true. That is very true. I didn't even think about that. But um, so yeah, he is continuing his extremely long investigation here, um, and he does find these fake scientists uh, in, the, in the abandoned Star Labs building. 
Uh, but he, while he's inside, he finds the real scientists in these disgusting cocoon things, and he cuts one of them free. But suddenly he's attacked by a guard dog that turns out to be another shape-shifting creature. <laughs> and this is a very gruesome-looking creature, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he It actually knocks Batman through two walls, and he's crushed underneath several cabinets. Um, and he man- But Batman manages to activate the signal watch before he falls unconscious, and Superman flies to the rescue. So, I th- do you take issue with this? Because I take issue with this. Well, see, if, I was wondering if he actually tried to activate it or if it fell out of the utility belt or what because i really could not tell oh that's not what i mean taking issue with that he gets knocked out from this guard dog now i understand he was thrown through as you said through two walls and the the shelving units fell over on him and batman you know he is only human but this is a guy who's been tossed through walls by clayface and mr freeze and Bane. And Bane. And Superman even plowed the shit out of him the first time they meet him. Meeted. Met. <laughs> <laughs> Me fail English? That impossible. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, fuck. Meeted. I love it. Um, uh, <clears throat> yes, we're already starting with Ian's next segment. <laughs> awesome. Oh, I didn't even think that that could end up on the Clip Monkey show. Ugh. Oh, I don't think I told you. I did listen back to the last time Ian did um, one of those for us before the Static Zeta one, and we didn't thank him at the end of it. He was right. Oh my God, are we, you serious? We really didn't. It ended, and we pretty much just like segued into whatever the hell we were doing. Our Batman Beyond recap. So, Ian, uh, really sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah, me too. Wow. <laughs> but um, but but getting back to this, you know, like I said, Batman, we know he can take hard hits. So I kind of find it odd. I understand they're trying to put these aliens over because these are villains we have not seen before. But I still find it very odd that, you know, this dog knocks him out within like 30 seconds. The fight doesn't last that long. No. I mean, I, my note for this is like we're only two or three scenes in and Batman has had his ass kicked pretty mightily <laughs> twice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Superman uh, hears the signal, flies in, uh, takes him out of the building. Um, well, or I, I should I'd say before he takes him out of the building, um, he watches as a meteor crashes in the middle of the city. And uh, from this meteor springs a very nasty 150 or so foot tall alien creature tripod thing straight from H.G. Uh, uh, Wells' War of the Worlds. Oh, yeah, this uh, is all very War of the Worlds, Ian. It has to be said. If we don't say it, we're going to get a dozen people writing in. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And they it starts blasting away at everything it sees. So Superman takes Batman to an EMT and flies off to confront the creature. The EMT, meanwhile, tries to take off Batman's mask, <laughs> to which Batman awakens suddenly, grabs her wrist, and says, don't even think about it. <laughs> but she's already thought about it, Batman, so... Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, he just got knocked out. He's that is awake. true. That is true. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is a lot of action here for the next several minutes. Superman and Batman now uh, in the Batwing are throwing everything they can at this creature, which has now has two buddies joining it. Uh, and they're not even phasing this thing. The Army joins in. The Air Force gets there. Nobody is even scratching this thing. Um, and after Superman gets blasted for like the 30th time... Uh, he has another psychic headache. This is actually his uh, third one. You missed one, and he was in his apartment. He has, oh, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you're a right. non-essential scene. It's, they're just they're just doing the rule of threes. That's all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so he he like it. This 
with this headache thing that he's having here, he's in a trance. Snapper Carr's like, well, snapping his finger in front of him. Yeah, you don't and, fucking snap at Superman, dude. Like, oh, man. I really wanted Superman just to break his thumb. Like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, Superman, and it should be said, yeah. isn't Snapper Richie? Snapper sounds yeah, like Richie uh, to me. Jason, Jason Marston, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Indeed. Um, so Superman just flies off in the opposite direction, away from the city. Batman's like, where the hell is he going? Yeah. And, and at this point, uh, this is the point where the Air Force arrives. And I got to say, I actually did like the very brief visual of the Batwings surrounded by the Air Force fighter jets. Yeah, that was cool. You almost got the feeling that, hey, they would try and fight together. Uh, but they didn't, because in the next camera pan, the Batwing is missing <laughs> for some reason. But um, <laughs> the Air Force, like I said, the Air Force and the Army have no effect on this on these creatures. And, uh, you know, it, it goes it goes on where Batman has to retreat too because he has to go follow after Superman because something's going on with him and he has to figure out what's going on with him now. And um, at at this point, we we uh, pan away for a few hours. Probably well, hang on, and... hang on, hang on. There's something I bring up. Okay. Um, there's a bit of a. It could be a perspective thing, but I think there's a bit of a mistake when that first tripod breaks out of the asteroid cocoon thing. Okay, Snapper's on the ground, and he's got his cameraman. The The tripod shoots its laser at a police car. Now, you can see that Snapper and the cameraman are standing well away from the police car. Yet, when the police car explodes, it looks like they're standing right next to it. The car flies up in the air and pretty much crashes right down next to them in the same spot that it launched from to begin with. And then when they pull away again, you can see that they're farther away from the car. So it could be a perspective thing, but I think they screwed up a little there, if you want the truth. Did you notice anything like that? I, I didn't notice it. Okay. Sorry. And, I, you know, in preparation for this episode, I, I watched Secret Origins several times. I want to say three times, maybe four. And each time I noticed it, it looked the exact same way to me. So if there's anybody out there, you know... That saw it and agrees or disagrees with me, right in and, and, and let me know. Let me know because maybe, like I said, maybe it is a perspective thing. I, I know I watched it three times too, but I didn't notice it. Yeah. So at this point, uh, we pan away for an indeterminate amount of time, but it's at least several hours because uh, Snapper Car reports that uh, the alien attacks are now happening all over the world, um, and like in Paris and Cairo and Malaysia and wherever else. After this, we go to Themyscira, where Princess Diana is speaking with her mother Hippolyta, who says that whatever is happening to the outside world is none of their concern. Mankind will have to deal with this on their own, because, you know, the gods protect us here, and, you know, we're snotty bitches. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Come on, tell me she's not being, you know, fucking... High in my well, there. but she, I, you know that's that's what she is. So, I mean, she is an, the Amazon queen. So yeah, I, I don't know much about Wonder Woman lore, but my understanding is that is that Wonder Woman's mom oftentimes comes off as a very hard nosed queen. You know, she protects her people, and she's going to do what she can to keep them away from man's world or whatever they call it. And it, it just doesn't really concern her. It's the way she sees it. So, yeah, you know, she, she comes off as hard, but she's got her, her her women in mind. That's who she has to protect, and she can't worry about this other shit that's going on. So, yeah. Um, right. But I, I do have to ask a couple things here. 
in in regards to this scene. How does Wonder Woman know about these so-called omens? That's the word she uses. She says these omens don't bode well for the world. What um, omens? I don't. I don't know. I know in, in the Wonder Woman movie they have uh, uh, Hippolyta has a mirror to the that shows her the outside world. Uh-huh. So maybe they have something like that, but it's never shown or said yeah. or anything. So you're you're completely correct in asking why or how she could possibly know this. Yeah, I mean maybe they saw the asteroids falling from the sky. You could say that, but why not show them? You could just simply show two or three of the asteroids flying overhead as they're watching. Um, now, someone could try to say that she knows what's happening because John contacted her. Because in a little bit, we find out that John didn't just, well, spoiler, <laughs> that it wasn't just John uh, that was contacting Superman. He was contacting everybody else. But I take issue with that, but I'll get to that when when we get there. Him contacting Diana, yeah. Um, so, okay, that, that's the only way I could really wrap my head around it, is if he was telling her psychically what was going on. Okay, but the other thing is, and again, I need someone who knows more about Wonder Woman lore than I do to write in and let me know. Why is, how is it pronounced? Hippolyta? Hippolyta. Hippolyta, sorry. Why is she blonde? Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't really like the DCAU version of Hippolyta. Okay. I really don't. So, I, I don't know. I don't know why she's blonde. I much prefer the uh, Wonder Woman movie version of Hippolyta. Okay, because, I mean, maybe it's... I do want to say, in the Wonder Woman TV show, her mom was blonde, so were they doing that? Or were they simply doing it because they they didn't want, you know, two raven-haired women? <laughs> you can't really tell them maybe, apart. Maybe you know? that's it. But they could have done, like, a George Perez curly hair on, on, on the Queen. Um... And for all I know, maybe in the comic at some point she did have blonde hair. I really don't know. That's why I need someone to write in and and set me straight on uh, the whole, you know, Themyscira Wonder Woman lore. Because I, I know dick all about it. Yeah, same here. So Superman has made his way to a remote army base in the desert. Uh, he's trying to break down a wall in this base when Batman arrives and demands to know what's going on. <laughs> so... So Superman finishes ripping the door off its hinges. And, I love their and, interactions there. With Batman's just like, I don't think the government's going to take too kindly to you ripping up their shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. This really isn't your style, you know. Yeah, it's a real playful. You know, they almost come off like brothers. You know, like kind of that playful antagonism. Yeah, that that's what I get when when these two are together. Now, I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, in, anyway, they go inside, and they find a Martian trapped in a stasis field, and Superman says that the Martian was trying to contact him telepathically, and when his message finally got through, he raced over uh, the space to save him. So Batman, being his usual cheery self, doesn't trust the alien who is named Jean Jones, and uh, the Martian actually agrees with this, saying it's a wise policy. Uh, so when they go outside, the army is seemingly waiting there to stop them, but... Lo and behold, it turns out to be an army of hostile aliens. And this is where episode one ends. Um, for me, when it comes to the Martian Manhunter character, I've never quite dug his costume. You know, it just looks a little weird to me. I, I never understood why a Martian would dress like that. 
Same here. But I like the way they justify it here, because the first humans he meets that he can trust look like that in, in, a, in a fashion. Because think about it. It's, what, what's his color scheme? Red and blue. It's Superman's. I mean, it's different, but it's the same. Um, so in a weird way, he's modeling himself after Superman. And so it makes sense here. I, I, I understand it. It's, it's a subtle thing. One thing I will say that I love throughout this movie is Batman and John's interactions. They are awesome. And right from the start here, Batman's like, the, the look on his face when John speaks for the first time is like, <laughs> Oh, when he's doing it psychically in his head, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, um, so far, I mean, so far, you know, they haven't, we haven't seen the Martian for more than, what, 35 seconds, mm-hmm. but I'm liking where they're going with it already. Yeah, they've set up this good little mystery. I mean, we've got, you know, we still aren't sure how the opening plays into it with the whole shit on Mars with Carter, you know, but we've got War of the Worlds going on. We've got these shape-shifting, white, spotty, gelatinous aliens going on. Oh, I keep wanting to... Go ahead. I'll keep wanting to call them white Martians because that's clearly what they're modeling right. after. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but they're not. Right. We've got them. You know, we've got Superman and Batman. We've had a cameo by the Flash and Wonder Woman, but they're not in the fray yet. And now we've got the Martian Man. Is he ever called the Martian Manhunter in the Justice League cartoons? Yes. Uh, I think once or twice. Okay. I know normally they call him John, but I wasn't sure if they ever call him the Martian Manhunter. But, um,. I know in here they call him the Martian several times, but I didn't know if they actually had the Manhunter thing. Um, you know, and there's a good little cliffhanger because there's this whole army, you know, with their alien weaponry just standing off against these three, and we do not know how they're going to pull out of it. Very good cliffhanger. When uh, episode two begins, uh, we it opens actually in Themyscira, uh, where Diana has entered the Temple of Athena, and she steals the armor and the lasso. Uh, well, you know, begging the gods and her mother for forgiveness for this. And uh, after this, ha, uh, we... Ha, you made it through that scene without me mentioning that she's naked. Oh, wait. I knew I knew you would mention it. Yeah. Her, her disrobing. <laughs> Which she actually does on screen. Yeah. But, now, yeah. It, I, I know there's an episode coming up where they... Or she, and I think the, the guys go with her. They go back to the island. Do they ever explain, like, the significance of that armor and why it's sitting there, like, sort of, like, in a temple? God, it's been so long since I've seen yeah. uh, that, that episode. I don't know. Okay. I hope they do. I really hope they do, because otherwise it just seems weird that there is this bustier and these earrings and these bracelets and a tiara and a lasso just sitting around waiting for someone to steal to do this exact thing. Like I said, I don't remember. I know they bring it up in JLU, but I don't know if they bring it up in that episode. Okay. But after this, we pick it back up at the army base where Superman, Batman, and Jean have to battle, you know, the super strong, seemingly indestructible aliens. Well, Jean is uh, injured in the fight, saving Batman's life, but uh, Jean passes out count one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, I won't do it anymore. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, Batman gets him to the Batwing, and they take off with uh, Soup's following behind. Uh, unfortunately, an armada of alien aircraft, well, alliteration, <laughs> awesome, uh, starts flying after them, and they start chasing them through the canyons of this mountain range. And uh, the Batwing ends up getting one of its wings blasted off, and it starts to crash. But suddenly, Jon Stewart, the Green Lantern, appears and saves them. And Hawkgirl appears next and starts swinging the mace around and blowing shit up like she does. And uh, I, I have to ask 
Mike, was I the only one of us who had a same old Dr. Fate moment when Batman asked Hawk Girl, what's she doing here? <laughs> That's a little weird, yeah. <laughs> I I understand through just that little bit of dialogue they're establishing that even though we haven't seen her before, she's been around. <laughs> but that is so weird, especially later on when Wonder Woman shows up and Green Lantern's like, who's the rookie in the tiara? You know, it's like, well, who's the chick with the mace? You know? <laughs> And even Superman has a line later when they're when she, uh, he and Hot Girl are inside that thing where he's like, "Are you always this eager to yeah. fight?" Yeah. It's like, uh, "I thought you knew her." Right. Yeah. And then, hang on, hang on. I just remembered something. Okay, so Green Lantern is all again like, "Who's the rookie in the tiara?" He never questions who the green guy in the underwear is. He's never met him either, but he's willing to accept him. <laughs> yeah, because I know because. Superman, Green Lantern, and Jean are all flying next to each other yeah. <laughs> throughout this thing. You should be looking at Superman and be like, um, ps, ps, this guy in the, with the, with the, the, the green guy, what's his deal? <laughs> Where'd he come from? <laughs> Superman's just like, Mars. I was like, okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And John's just like, I can hear you. <laughs> He's like, oh, Superman's, oh, and by the way, he can read your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so this massively long uh, battle scene ensues with the heroes all taking out these ships. And uh, Hawk Girl ends up getting uh, knocked down onto a cliff. And this is when Diana shows up in the armor. And she starts doing her bracelet thing, deflecting the blast. And she causes a ship to be blown up, but unfortunately for her, the, the ship that she blows up happens to be crashing down towards them, so uh, Lantern has to protect the the two girls. <laughs> which is, that's exactly what happens. He has to protect the girls from getting blown up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't really see it that way, though. It's just him protecting two heroes. It, yeah, it is two women, but I, I don't think they meant anything by it. Okay, so after they've taken out all the ships, they all gather back at the wreckage of the Batwing, and uh, Flash shows up holding the wing that got severed off of the bat wing. He's like, oh, bats, I think you dropped something. Yeah. But I, I like that he doesn't hand it to him until he sees Wonder Woman. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here, take this. I've, <laughs> I'm distracted yeah. all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Oh, boobs. Yeah. Uh, I love him and Wonder Woman. I love them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great. Uh, already they're showing Flash as the comedian of the group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and they, when, when Jean has to start explaining the situation here, um, Diana, intro, well, you know, before he starts uh, explaining what's going on, Diana introduces herself to everybody saying, you know, I'm Diana, princess of the Amazons. Flash has another quip to which, uh, Superman breaks his, uh, arm by elbowing him. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Wonder Woman says something curious here. She says uh, she couldn't stand idly by while the world was in danger. What about when Darkseid took over the Earth? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. The only thing you could maybe say is they've tweaked her origin, and she hadn't been created yet. Because remember, she's made out of clay. This is true. Now, I know her origin is she was made out of clay, turned into a baby, and then grew up like any normal child would, but maybe they're tweaking it and saying she was made out of clay and accelerated. 
uh, her growth was accelerated. I mean, I don't know. I don't know because you bring up a really good point. I mean, but if but if you're going to say that, then you also have to say, well, where was John when that yeah. happened? Or Kyle, Kyle because it was Kyle right. at the time, right? Where the fuck was Batman? Right. Where was the other Flash? Whether it was Wally or Barry, because we had seen him at that point. I think we had. Doctor Fate. God, yeah. Where were all those guys? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but we, we we took points off of that for legacy. We won't take right. points off of it here. No. No. <laughs> um. So. Yeah, I mean, Jean uh, starts explaining the situation um, that he telepathically summoned all the heroes there. Okay, then let me go back to what I, I was saying go, earlier. Go ahead. Why go ahead, would he contact some some random woman on some random island who is not even a superhero yet? It's not like she's been Wonder Woman and he's you know she like just started her career and he's like you know what I got to contact her. He doesn't know who, she's nobody at this point. She is literally nobody. Why did he contact her? There's no sense in that. I know. The only thing you could maybe say here is that he sensed, uh, you know, she's a warrior born, and he sensed the doubt in her mind about, is this the right thing to do, staying out of this? And But that's flimsy at best. But that whole island uh, is made up of women who are warriors, warriors born. So why didn't he contact all of them and... Maybe find... Because they would have been like Hippolyta. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? Maybe maybe he would have found one or two or five more than just Diana. But he just contacts one. I see where you're coming from, but I just can't buy it. It's really wrong right. to me. Well, it's like I said. It's flimsy at best, yeah. even then. Yeah. Anyway, beyond that, he, he explains that the hostile aliens are parasites that conquered Mars a thousand Earth years ago. And they what they did is they... They killed off the Martians. They fed off their psychic energy, destroyed their entire civilization until finally, uh, some 500 years ago, a small group of rebel Martians uh, made one last desperate attack on their stronghold. And uh, they unleashed a powerful nerve gas that paralyzed the aliens uh, long enough for the sole surviving Martian, Jean, to seal them up in the Citadel uh, in a constant state of suspended animation. So... His he stood guard over the citadel for for those five hundred years until what well, he says he was in a hibernation cycle and the astronauts from the beginning of the episode accidentally unlocked the citadel and freed the invaders and so since Mars is dead they've uh, they set their sights on Earth and they've been secretly sabotaging Earth's defenses for the two years since they were freed. Well, at this point, it's almost three years. Two years, six months. Yeah, exactly. It'd be almost three years at this point. They never explain how opening the citadel awakened the, the well, again, quote-unquote, white Martians. It's just, oh, Carter came in, and all of a sudden the aliens were awake. How? Opening the door somehow woke these fuckers up? I don't get that. I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> okay, now I have to ask something else, too. Do you remember what John said about his species? That they were a peaceful race that abhorred any kind of violence. Okay, sure. Then why did that battle rage centuries? Are you telling me that these conquering alien parasites spent centuries trying to defeat a race that was peaceful, that did not like taking life, that you could presume at least when the aliens landed did not have weapons? You have to, you know, I have, I have to assume that the Martians developed the weapons we see them using when they had to develop them. 
you know, once they were being invaded. But at that point, it would have been too late because they were fucking peaceful. Wow, you're right. I don't know. I, I just it's the centuries thing. I understand they're trying to right, hammer no, I, home. Yeah, that I completely understand. Yeah, right. I mean, sure they're trying to because at one point they say John was watching over them for five hundred Earth years. So we know he's at least five hundred years old because we don't know if he was born before the aliens attacked. He might have been born. He might have been like a war child. Um. So you know, let's say he's five hundred fifty, six hundred years old. Where was I going with that? I don't even remember. Um. Something okay. like oh, they were trying to hammer home how long that war raged. I get it. But I would have preferred the phrase decades or even that I would call I would I would call foul on though if you want the truth. Cause again, yeah. the whole peaceful thing. But anyways, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's alright. Um it's at this point that the invaders unleash their secret weapons, these devices that begin to dig uh trenches into the earth and send massive plumes of clouds into the sky to blot out the sun. This can be seen all the way wherever the heroes are, because uh, they, they can see the lightning and the smoke already billowing into the sky. And John explains that these creatures are nocturnal, and they want to blot out the sun. So they the heroes start to discuss what they need to do, and they say that they're going. You know, Diana's like, we we have to split up into groups, and you know, or I should say, uh, John Stewart says this, and Diana's uh, agreeing with him, and. And John's like, like, lady, this is no time for, this is no job for an amateur. And Diana, Diana does not take too kindly to no. this. Now, did you notice she's taller than him? Yes, I did. Yeah, that changes though, doesn't it? I think they shrink her over the course of the series, but I could be wrong. I don't remember her being taller than him throughout the rest of the series. You know, that's true, because I think in JLU, they're the same height, okay. if not slightly smaller on Diana's part there. Maybe she got shorter heels. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, the heroes do split into groups to try and take out these devices, which are are uh, in, on several points on the globe. Yeah, we uh, got we got Green Lantern pulling the biggest cock block of the century, douchebag. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I love the Flash here, you know, because <laughs> what's he say? He zips over to... Zips on the Amazon. Yeah. No, what does he say? Why don't we team up with the person to our left or something like that? I could swear that's what he says. And then next time we see him... I he's don't with, remember that. Uh, maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I thought that's what he said. But, you know, <laughs> then we see him with John. Oh, I, I really like, wish this was, no fun. I really wish this could have been rated R, so he could have been like, cock block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. But... Anyway, the groups end up being John and Flash, as previously mentioned, Superman and Hawkgirl, and then uh, Diana, Batman, and Jean uh, in the three the three groups. Flash and Green Lantern go to take out their respective uh, stronghold thing, but Flash, as impulsive as he always is, runs out. He gets trapped in some disgusting pile of goop, uh, and John has to rescue him. Um, While berating him. Yes, while berating him. And uh, why couldn't but, Flash just vibrate out of that shit? I don't know. But believe me, I'll have plenty to say about how heroes about heroes being trapped at yeah. the end of oh, the episode. Yeah, and I, yeah, me too, me too. But I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for you, sure. <laughs> so, but anyway, af, as Lantern gets Flash out of there, they have to retreat because Green Lantern is gassed and knocked out, so Flash has to race out of there. Uh, meanwhile... Superman and Hawkgirl uh, do their thing. They're fighting off these aliens. Uh, they're not—they're t- not particularly uh, a good 
functioning team uh, because Hawkgirl is, again, very impulsive, loves to fight. You know, we all know this. Uh, and they end up getting captured uh, after they're knocked unconscious. And the trio of Diana, Batman, and Jean uh, look like they're going to succeed. They ma- they manage uh, to get this crystal that's controlling this smoke billowing thing out of its uh, out of its placement there, and it powers down the machine briefly. And they start to get out of there, but unfortunately, uh, Batman is trapped inside the room with all these uh, white Martian things, and is from the other side of the wall. We hear all these guns blasting, and it, it's it's assumed that Batman has been killed. John says as much. Yeah, John says, you know, there's nothing more we can do for him, and Diana's like, you you don't mean, yeah, yeah, he's gone. So, uh, this is Diana saying, Hera, help us for the first time. <laughs> Hera, Hera count one. Yeah. And this is where episode two ends. I loved the cliffhanger here. Yeah, yeah. Because you think the fucking Batman has been killed, mm-hmm. and that and that's where the episode ends. I loved that. Yeah, there's no reason to think otherwise at this point. Um, and you know what? I mean, sure, you know, oh, they'd never kill Batman. You know, that's, that's what everybody's going to say. But at the same time, why not do something gutsy to get people talking about this program? Another thing I did like here is, in all these scenes, is I like seeing that none of the heroes are working particularly well together, except for John and Batman. Because they do understand each other. Batman doesn't, I don't think Batman still trusts him, but he realizes the situation. It's like, you know, I don't have any choice. I gotta trust this thing, you know, for the meantime. And John is helping him out all, all, all along the way because as we're as it will be revealed he's of course not dead and it was all jean helping him out there so i did like that the rapport between jean and batman mm-hmm. so far it's great because i think as far as the other heroes go they shouldn't be working well together uh, assuming that this you know this is of course the first time they've all teamed together so i i did like that well what's interesting is the way they paired them up because we have the really jokey comedic flash with the hard-nosed marine green lantern yeah you know mr take no shit versus make a joke out of everything we've got super strong no pun intended superman who is very compassionate teamed up with super strong but warlike hawk girl when they paired those up, they knew what they were doing. It wasn't just, oh, we're going to throw these two together and these together. No, they really thought about that. They absolutely did. And when they threw Wonder Woman with, uh, with, with John Jones and Batman, again, they were really thinking about that because Batman is the type that would hold John back to study the Amazon, to see what she can do, to see if she is just a rookie, if she is an amateur, as Green Lantern called her. Superman wouldn't do that. Hawkgirl wouldn't do that. Green Lantern, The Flash, no one else would do that. But Batman would. Again, they're thinking. Brilliant stuff here. Mm-hmm. For all my problems with this opening story. It's a good story, you know, but obviously I've got problems with it. I've been giving them all along. You know, yeah. th- these pairings were brilliant. Anything else to say before we begin episode three? Um, I don't think so, no. Okay, uh, so episode three begins with, uh, again, Earth is, is being decimated. Uh, Metropolis is just in complete ruins. <laughs> yeah. What a shock. Yeah. When the um, fuck does this city get rebuilt? <laughs> I don't know. It's like the next time we see it, it's, it's all back to normal. <laughs> it's like, what's, what, 
what are the insurance rates in Metropolis? Yeah, I know. I have... Tell me about it. Shit. Um, but anyway, um, it begins with the four remaining heroes, that being uh, Flash, Green Lantern, Jean, and Diana regrouping in Metropolis. And they decide to go after uh, into that stronghold that Superman and Hawkgirl have been captured to see if they can rescue them. And uh, Jean reveals at this point to Flash and Green Lantern that Batman has been killed. And the the mood takes a really sullen turn there because once they find out that Batman is dead, it's like, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> they really put Batman over very well there. Well, yeah, I mean, because, again, he's the only member of the team that doesn't have a power of some sort, but they all respect him for being one of the original heroes, and they all know that he's the strategist of the group. Even though they might not have teamed with him, they've heard stories about him, you know? And uh, with him gone, they are in deep, deep dookie. And Jean, at this point, says that if they're going to do it, they better act quickly because the Imperium, the supreme command of the entire alien force, is on its way to Earth. Um, and I should say that the opening scene of this episode wasn't actually in Metropolis. There was a scene where, uh, at the Wayne Aerospace Building, they were mm. finally finishing rebuilding that satellite, and they they picked up on the satellite the image of this gigantic ba- uh, air sh- or spaceship uh, flying towards Earth, and that's what John is talking about here because he can sense it coming. Yeah. And um, this it's at this point that the heroes start making their way inside the stronghold, and uh, Jean takes out a couple of aliens in a very gruesome manner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very cool manner, but very gruesome. More uh, arms through bodies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it would be like he canoed them. Like yeah. he, ripped, he practically ripped their hearts out mm-hmm. if, if they had them. <laughs> um, and Hang on. I, I got to say something, though. You got a little ahead. Because okay. you, got, you got to him actually in the machine. So, right? Right. Okay. There's something that happens outside the machine that I have to bring up. Okay. Flash causes a diversion so they can all get in. He brings down one of the tripods. How does he bring down the tripod, James? With a landmine? Was Where'd you get the idea that it was a landmine? Well, he's like, you know, saying, nah, 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 and the thing uh, blasts at him, but he moves to another area, and he's like, not even close. The thing lifts its leg up and tries to crush Flash, but it hits a landmine and it blows the leg up. So I thought, see, this this was my problem. I got no sense that there was a landmine there because we didn't see a landmine. I thought it just brought its leg down hard on top of a rock and broke itself. Oh, no, there was definitely an explosion. No, I know there was an explosion, but I thought that was because it was its leg exploding. Well, see, if you look behind the Flash, he's standing. there's this rock there and there's yeah. some goop there i assumed it was some kind of alien landmine okay because absolutely what i assumed okay because what i was going to be getting at there was so (laughs) bullets and missiles can't break these things but a rock can the flash well he didn't throw a rock at it but yeah but uh so i was gonna take issue with that (laughs) but okay it maybe if there was some sort of alien tech there its own weaponry brought it down in the form of a landmine okay okay i'll go with it so then they make their way in John takes out some of the aliens, uh, and they fi- they apparently find where Soups and Hawk Girl are being held. And uh, GL starts to carve away inside, and uh, the Imperium arrives on Earth during this, uh, and they eventually uh, make their way inside the cell 
where they're being where Superman and Hawker are being held, but it turns out to be aliens in disguise, and the rest of the heroes have been captured. My question here is. If Jean sensed that Superman and Hawkgirl behind the wall and it wasn't them, how did this happen? How yeah. did he sense Superman and Hawkgirl when it wasn't them? Exactly. Exactly. Do, do these shapeshifters take on their brainwaves too? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, we know that these shapeshifters took on. The reason they're shapeshifters is because of the Martians. John says that early on. Yeah, exactly. So maybe when they took on the forms of Superman and Hawkgirl. They did something to their heads and took their brainwaves, but because they don't say this, nor is it demonstrated in any other way, can, can, can you really go with that theory? You know, you can throw it out there, but there's nothing to support it. Like I said, the heroes are captured, and when they all awaken, they're being held prisoner for the arrival of the Imperium, and... They're being held with their arms and legs stuck in this, I guess, solidified gelatinous crap mm. that was outside the the uh, the strongholds. Now, here's the thing: Hawk Girl is being held with her mace <laughs> still in her hand. <laughs> Green Lantern still has his power ring on inside this thing. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> Superman's eyes aren't blocked. Well, see, I can buy the Superman thing because he's been shut off from the solar energy for so long, maybe he can't use his heat vision, so his is the only one I can excuse. The other's not even close. No, I don't think so, because when he starts using his heat vision, the sun hasn't started to come back in yet, has it? Yes, it, yes, it has. Oh, you're right, because, yeah, um... Had it? Yeah, it has. I remember seeing sunbeams... Uh, uh, shining down around Superman when it happens. I vividly remember it. Okay, that seems kind of weird, though, that his powers would short out that quick after being out of the sun. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go how, with it, but it's I'm not entirely buying it. How, we can't... We don't know a definitive time on how long he's been knocked out and away from sunlight, either. So. Yeah. Because you've got to remember, this thing. these things have been blocking out the sun for an indeterminate amount of time. Yeah, I, I'm going with a day. Well, I really I don't, don't think these things are on Earth that long. It, it doesn't... It, it all happens so quickly. But Well, it happens so quickly, so it, you could say, well, maybe it's a few days. I don't know. Yeah. I, just in my mind, that's what that's what, how I see it. Okay, okay. Anyway, so the Imperium arrives, and it's this gigantic jellyfish kind of looking thing sort of a metroid uh, kind of yeah and that's that's it just without the little spikies like. at the bottom yeah right it does kind of look like a metroid um uh it's revealed at this point that senator carter was an alien in disguise the entire time and the real carter died on mars um say it say it yeah the huge plot hole yeah how the fuck did he not get discovered for two and a half years if he can't stand sunlight thank you Fungus plot hole. Yeah. I mean, throughout this entire episode, they did a good job only showing him in night scenes. Never that he was outside, but whenever there was a press conference or when he was at the, uh, it wasn't the United Nations, what are they called? The World World Assembly, Whatever. I think it was. Whatever their, their version of the United right. Nations is. All those scenes were taking place at night. So they thought about that. Indoors or indoors, but even if when they were indoor, there were still there were still night scenes. 
you know, they, they, they would show the outside it was night and then they'd cut inside. At least I'm positive. Um, at least I'm positive that that's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, but pff, two and a half years. How did he get back into the Earth's atmosphere? Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, how did he get out of the rocket? You know, how did he? Oh, it, it's so. It's such a glaring plot hole, too. It's terrible. <laughs> uh. Yep. Um, shall I continue? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, they take uh, Jean out of his quote-unquote imprisonment uh, and bring him up onto this, to their platform where the Imperium and these gar- all these aliens are standing, and they zap him. He, he loses his you know, disguise, for lack of a better word. And uh, the Imperium uh, is like, you know, bow before me and all this other shit, and he refuses, of course. So it begins to, and there's really no delicate or non-perverted way to explain Mm -hmm. this, but here it goes. It inserts its tentacles into Jean's body and absorbs him into its body in order to destroy him. Yep. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Um... But, as it is about to finish Sean off, uh, Jean makes a comment that he hasn't lost, and the Imperium demands to know what Jean is hiding from it uh, in the recesses of his mind. And uh, Jean's like, do I sense fear, and yada, yada, yada. And Jean pulls his trump card. An explosion is heard across the room. It is Batman, who has blown a hole inside the membrane holding this power source battery thing uh, to the solar radiation blocking machine. And John reveals that he has been telepathically shielding Batman the entire time and kept him from being noticed by anyone. Interesting that he was able to do that even after he was knocked out. And thank you for explaining how Batman survived getting shot by a gazillion lasers. Because I didn't know that John could uh, produce telepathic shields like Jean, uh, Jean Grey. Yeah. I said Jean Grey. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> John Jean. Oh, my God. All these, all these French things. <laughs> But, yeah, they never bothered to explain how Batman got away from those guys. They didn't say he dropped through the floor, he jumped over them, nothing. Nothing. It's it's like one of those old Saturday morning serials where you would see the cliffhanger and then you're like, oh my god, how's Dick Tracy going to get out of this one? And then when when you see the, the how it's resolved next week, they completely change the cliffhanger. It's It's yeah. sort of like that. Batman gets shot, apparently, but we don't know how he survived. Did they did they drag him away? You know, if, if they got shot with lasers, there should be holes in them. Ugh. Thank you for explaining it, guys. Yeah, so Batman reverses the ion charge on this machine, and uh, the device begins to uh, disperse the smoke clouds that it, it had created, and sunlight starts flooding the room, and the aliens begin to dissolve and melt away when hit by the sunbeams because, as Batman figured out earlier... They have zero resistance to our radiation. No, uh, our no, no, no. This is another thing I take issue with. Batman didn't figure it out. John said it like 12 times. That these things can't stand the sun. But then there's a scene where Wonder Woman says, Oh, you finally figured out their weakness? No, John told you when he first showed up that they don't like the sunlight. Yeah, they, he said they were nocturnal. Like He, he said the sunlight hurt them. Mm, I watched it like you three times, but I don't remember him saying anything like that. I'm pretty sure to the he effect did. Where, to the effect of sunlight will kill them. I thought he did. I really thought he did. But okay, if he didn't, he didn't. But the, the, 
the way it's said, it really bothered me because I, I, I thought John made it clear that that was their weakness early on. I see where you're coming from, but I really don't think he said anything, uh, po- you know, point blank. Sunlight uh, will harm them. Okay. So. He did say they were nocturnal, though. Yeah. I know he said that at, at the on the onset there. Uh, anyway, so the massive battle ensues. Um, heroes get out one by one by one. Uh, they start destroying every alien they can find. Um, and Jean uh, takes, uh, keeps the Imperium from escaping and holds it under a sunbeam, and its skin starts to bubble away. Yeah. Very neat visual, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, the heroes make about, I don't know, 250 or so sunroofs in the <laughs> ceiling, and the, the aliens are just dissolving right and left, and the, uh, the Imperium retreats uh, after it manages to free itself from Jean and yet another very violent and disgusting way. He... Uh, he, I you know, use that loosely, uh, has still has its uh, tentacle inside Jean's brain and zaps him, and he get knock, gets knocked out again. And uh, the Imperium escapes briefly, but Diana and Hawkgirl uh, manage to keep the ship from uh, from retreating completely, and it, they bring it down, and it crashes into the stronghold, creating uh, a chain a massive chain explosion that starts to destroy the entire stronghold and um the heroes all manage to get all the 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 people that were being impersonated uh out of their these cocoon things they rescue them they all get away stronghold goes up in a massive explosion and the remaining ships are set packing and the war has been won thoughts about the battle scene anything yeah you know it's 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 interesting I guess I just I don't I don't know it, it's 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 cool but I don't know I, I don't want to call it anticlimactic but it didn't totally do it for me. I can't I just can't get over how stupidly they were being held yeah. with all their wep- their <laughs> weapons still yeah. still on them. Yeah, I mean you can maybe justify the ring because I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but the <laughs> that mace. Was of, that was one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, maybe they didn't realize it was his weapon. You know what I'm saying? Maybe just thought they thought it was part of his design. Maybe whoever put him in that goopy wall thing actually didn't see Green Lantern using the ring, didn't know. It, it, you can maybe justify it. But the mace? Oh. <laughs> Seriously? You're not going to take a fucking mace away from somebody? <laughs> That's brilliant. Really? Uh, and, and these things took centuries to defeat a peaceful race. They're clearly stupid. Clearly. Yeah. Oh, yes. These these things are hideously stupid. Uh. Um, so, uh, Snapper Car reports from the Carnage site that uh, the heroes have driven away the aliens and the rest of the ones left on Earth are being destroyed one by one. And uh, General Wells says that we got lucky, but what if they ever come back? To which I say... Uh, Beat him again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Batman is watching this in the Batcave. He thinks briefly, and next we see a space station hovering above the Earth. <laughs> and uh, I wonder how long it took them to build that. Yeah. Um, and we go inside it. Uh, Superman is there, and he asks uh, you know, what Bruce's stockholders will think about this, to which Batman says it was simply a line item in the Wayne Aerospace R&D budget. That's a very large line item, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. My God. <laughs> to build something like that would cost, like, trillions of dollars. <laughs> and, uh, no, it's just a line item. Um, yeah, okay. 
You know, how how about he just says Bruce Wayne is funding the Justice League? Before anybody knew Tony Stark was Iron Man, Tony Stark was funding the Avengers. And I think, you know, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought it was just, you know, he just thought it was the right thing to do. Bruce Wayne could just say, you know what, I think these guys should be a team and we're going to build them a satellite. And if you don't like it, you could fuck off because I own the company and I'm richer than God. <laughs> nice. Yeah. He could beat Jesus and he's richer than God. <laughs> yes, as we have established before. Yes. Um, um, so anyway, uh, Superman, uh, I'm sorry, Batman explains that this space station dubbed the Watchtower will act as an early warning system for other outer space problems. Superman then gathers everyone uh, and says that uh, he was wrong in thinking he could protect the world all by himself and that they should all become a team and work together for the good of all mankind. And you know what? I think it'd be really cool if we call ourselves the Justice League, <laughs> which Flash says is incredibly corny. Yeah. Uh, well, that's after he course, said. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and say it. It's You're, a great line. Yeah. What does he say? Uh, what? Like a bunch of super friends? <laughs> Awesome. And awesome. And then Superman's like, I was thinking the Justice League. And he's like, okay, that's kind of yeah. corny, but okay. He's <laughs> like, yeah, maybe the big guy has a point. Yeah. You know what? I'll join. Hot girl joins. Diana says, oh, my mother might not approve, but I'll join. <laughs> Lantern's like, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, then we go to Batman. He's <laughs> like, what about you, Batman? You know what? I'm not a people person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you need help, and you will, yeah. call me. So Superman's like, all right, so we're all agreed. But then they say, well, wait, where's Jean? Yeah, they forget the green guy ain't hanging around, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Superman flies up to the top of the place, and Jean's standing there just looking out into the vast emptiness of space. And he says, you know, my my planet's dead. I'm the only one left. What am I going to do? Superman's like, you know what? I I understand your situation better than anyone. And, uh, you know, he's like, "Uh, you know, we'd be honored if you would call Earth your new home. And so Jean is the final one to join, and thus the Justice League is born. The end. Um, you know, I, I really shouldn't point out that I noticed this. <sighs> Let me get... No, you know, go ahead. I, know, I think I know what you're going to no, say. No, you don't. I want to I hear what you think I'm going to say. Hawkgirl was not wearing pants in one scene. Oh, I didn't notice that, really. What does she have on? Just like the, like the, the panty portion? Yeah, exactly. If you look really closely, during when the flagship is retreating by the wreckage of the da- or the wreckage the uh, rubble of the daily planet. Uh-huh. If you look all the seven heroes are standing on the building. Well, if you look really closely, Hawkgirl doesn't have her green pants on. <laughs> no, I didn't know. And as and as I say this, many of our listeners are frantically getting their DVDs off the shelves <laughs> and fast forwarding to the end of episode 3. <laughs> no, that that's not what I noticed. No. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Whose anatomy do I typically typically notice? That would be the male sex. Yeah, when Superman and John fly down from the uh, the top of the watchtower at the, uh, the the computer console, and they land, both their capes flutter up. Well, real quickly, if you pay attention, you'll notice that Superman's underwear rides up the way it would. John's has two creases, implying two butt cracks, implying three butt cheeks. <laughs> I have nothing to say. <laughs> so we'll just move on to some general notes about this whole thing. Yeah, what were you thinking here? <laughs> I, I got to say, I mean, I had this originally as an 8 out of 10, mm-hmm. but that is definitely going down. Yeah. I got to tell you. Because um, originally, I, originally my my big count-offs were, of course, the humongous plot hole with Carter. Oh, God, yes. Um, 
that was a point off in and of itself. Um, and the pitiful imprisonment in which the heroes were trapped <laughs> in episode three. And then I throw in the subpar animation from episodes two and three. I thought the animation in the, the latter two episodes was not good. There was reused footage. Was there? Uh, I didn't notice that. When Superman throws one of those spaceships in episode two, when they're in that canyon fighting, and he throws it against the wall after Lantern asks who's the rookie in the tiara, uh-huh. it's the same explosion from Return of the Joker. Uh, or when um, I want to say the uh, candy factory is blowing up. Ooh. It's reused footage. That's bad. But, you know, overall, I think this was a, a solid way to begin the series. Uh, I thought Jean's character development was absolutely awesome. Like I said before, I loved his interactions with Batman. And I'm trying to think there was something else. Um, going back to the animation, though, there was something else. I think there were some minor lip-syncing problems here and there, too. I so noticed some that, with Wonder Woman, yeah. I wasn't really noticing with her... I was noticing with General Wells, there was a couple with him. So, you know, there you go. I don't know. What about you? I think this may be suffering somewhat by the fact that I watched it again three or four times in, like, the last two weeks. I think I just seen it too much, so I'm noticing the flaws more than I am the good the good stuff. But the fact of the matter is, the flaws are there. Yep. You know, it's, we're not making any of these things up. Anything I said that could be contested... You know, James stepped in and he said, no, 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 this is how it was. And I, you know, I would go, okay, okay, you're probably right. You know what I mean? And I, and I would generally, you know, I might back down from the point. But a lot of the stuff, like I said, the flaws are still absolutely there. Why wouldn't John contact Diana who, you know, I, I can maybe buy James's excuse, but mm, I don't know about that one. Um, you know, the whole sunlight thing with Carter, two and a half years out of the sun? No, no way. <laughs> what James pointed out about them being trapped with their weapons. <laughs> God. We don't know how Batman survived. We don't know that at all. So, you know, there's there's a lot of flaws with this. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a really great way to start this new era in the DCAU. It's a really good way to bring the team together. It's a logical way to bring the team together, I should say. You know, and you could just sit down and watch it, flaws and all. Uh, do you want to get to our scores, or do you have anything else to say? I think we can get to our scores now. What are you going to give it? Like I said, I had it an 8 originally, but, if, you know, we kept going through all these things, and I did drop it 2 points to a 6. Yeah, I'm on the fence between a 6 and a 7. Um, I want to give it a six, but the only reason I might give it a seven is because I might give it the um, Tim Burton Batman film treatment, where I give it one extra point because of how influential it is, because of everything it would set up from this point forward. I I just don't think I can do it. I, I really think there are too many flaws, and I just have to stick with a six. Um, that said... There's a very good chance I think I'll be coming back to this when we when I do when we do our rescore. I mean, when we do our rescore, that's what episode ninety nine. We're doing a Justice League Justice League Unlimited revisit. So yeah, it's gonna be a long time thirty some odd up thirty one episodes. <laughs> it's gonna be over a year. Yeah, before we before we get back to this, but uh, maybe maybe you know I do need a year to step away from this one but 
yeah, right now it's going to stay at a six, and I have a feeling uh, we're going to we're going to hear about that in email and at the forums, which is fine. I, oh, you know, yes. write in and tell us that you know you you disagree. We we love hearing that from you guys. So so please do. An impressive installation. Most impressive. But what's it got to do with us? I once thought I could protect the world by myself, but I was wrong. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. Do you have any idea how corny that sounds? But maybe the big guy's got a point. With all of us behind it, it just might work. Count me in. Me too. And me. My mother may not approve, but I find man's world to be intriguing. I'll gladly join. What about you, Batman? I'm not really a people person. But when you need help, and you will, call me. Understood. Then we're all agreed. Wait, Jean's not here. Yeah, where is he? Jean, are you all right? My family and loved ones are long gone. I am the last of my kind. I know the feeling. Now, Mars is dead, and I am alone in the universe. Jean... We can never replace the family you've lost, but we'd be honored if you could learn to call Earth your home. Come on. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. And remember, we have that new voicemail number, which can also receive text messages. That's 731-WFP-WFP-0. 731-937-9370. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss three more Justice League stories. Those being In Blackest Night, The Enemy Below, and Injustice for All. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.